0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just 3680. Let's head to Red Oak and John, this is Jim. How can I help you? Jim, I had a quick question about air conditioning. It keeps you cold. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're gonna put a new inside and outside unit in and I wanted to know the difference or benefits of a heat pump versus a regular AC. Okay. Do you have gas to your home? No, all electric. Okay. If you have all electric, and I'm assuming this is in the Dallas area, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. If you're all electric, you're in the Dallas area, we use our heaters often enough. By all means, go with the heat pump. What it does is it reverses, in simple terms, it reverses the compressor outside and draws warm air out of the cold air to pump back into your home. Uh, and it's not it's not literally taking the air from outside and putting it in your home. It's just cycling through the, the lines that uh, have the fluid in them that go through the coils and everything. It's basically drawing the heat out of the air and uh, allowing it to go to the heating elements inside. The difference being when you run your regular heater, not a heat pump, but a regular strip heat, if you've ever seen the portable heaters that have the, the wire that runs back and forth and when it comes on it glows red, thats yeah. what a, that's what a regular strip heat does when you're not using the heat pump. Very expensive to run versus a heat pump. The heat pump will cut the cost of your heating by about uh, two thirds. I'm excited. That's where we're going. Then thank you very much, sir. Oh, you bet. And and I got to tell you, I've got it on my own house just to give you some numbers. Before I changed it out to the heat pump, in the winter months, my heating bill would run about six hundred dollars. When we changed out and went with the heat pump, it dropped it down to just uh, about 200, sometimes just a little over, depending on how long it's cold. Now, the only downside to a heat pump is, is using the compressor virtually year-round because it's using it both when you're cooling and when you're heating. No big deal. It's made to do that. But when the temperatures drop down to some of them have a thirty six threshold, some of them have a thirty two degree threshold. Once you get below that, your system is going to switch over to the strip heat, so your electric bill will go up again. right. All right, thank you, sir. You bet John, take care. Good luck with that. Bye, bye, bye. all right, one eight hundred two eight eight nine two two seven. and the reason I was asking if he has gas. Just FYI for everybody, if you have gas available for your heating system versus going with electric or the heat pump, gas is always going to be cheaper and the better way to go. Also, one more thing on the, on the heat pumps. When you, the 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 other thing that you're going to notice when you use a heat pump versus strip heat, the heat coming out of your register is typically not as hot. And you know when you're running the Electric heat strips—it dries your skin out real bad because you got that super hot air coming in all the time. It's a milder heat, so it doesn't dry you out quite as bad, and it does a better job keeping it dehumidified and things like that. So, just FYI, one of the things that'll make it much easier for you. This this was from uh, Chris, and he was asking about a generator and hooking a generator up. I intend to plug on an extension cord into the 120. Of the generator and run it into my home. Does the generator need to be grounded? No. Typically, a portable generator does not need a grounding. Now, it, does that mean in every single application you don't have to ground it? No. You'll want to pull the owner's manual, and under certain circumstances, it's going to tell you to, to ground it. In general, there really isn't anything you need to do when you're using a portable generator other than start it up. A little side note, the biggest issue you're going to run into with portable generators is the fuel that we use nowadays because it gums up when it's not used on a regular basis. So if you're going to have a portable generator, just like your lawnmower, just like your weed eater, just like your vehicle, it's got to be started and run on a regular basis in order to keep everything lubricated and keep that so, that uh, fuel from you know, turning to junk in the carburetors and fuel lines and things like that. If at all possible, if you can get fuel that doesn't have the ethanol in it, you are much better off. And typically, if you get out into the outlying counties, you can get it, and you can get it typically at boat docks and places like that because they've stayed smart enough not to use that in boats. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Great. Thank you. So I have a question um, about installing a, a dehumidifier in a property that we have in uh, Port Aransas. Okay. And I know that the the air conditioners run overtime down there, and I just wondered if that would make the, the uh, workload easier on our air conditioner, and I wanted to get an idea of the cost as well. Well, it's going to take out the humidity levels, which your air conditioner does as well. Uh, I'm assuming this is a weekend place? Yes. So what kind of temperature do you set it at when you're leaving? At 80. Okay. Then definitely I would take a look at putting a dehumidifier in there. And this may shock you, but typically 200 bucks buys you a decent dehumidifier. Wow. And okay, that here, sounds great. Yeah, here's the big thing you got to keep in mind though. It has to be drained. And so typically you're going to have to set it up somewhere where you can have the drain go outside somehow or what we typically do cuz we keep one at the uh, deer lease we put it in the bathroom and just have it drain straight into the shower. Okay. Because a dehumidifier, yeah, a dehumidifier will pull something in the neighborhood of 15 gallons a day out of the air when it's moist, and so you got to have some place for that moisture to go when it's pulling it out. But uh, you can actually find dehumidifiers. Uh, Sears has them. Uh, You can order them through the box stores. Uh, All kinds of places carry them. Will that extend the life of the air conditioning system? Uh, no. Okay. Because uh, the, the air conditioning system, anytime it's on, it's going to be dehumidifying. But what it's going to do is extend the life of everything you keep inside that house. Because that, when you let the humidity levels go up because you're raising your temperature that much, uh, what's happening is everything's getting damp and moist and you know i'm sure when you go in there you're you're you get that little bit of a musty smell yes it's going to eliminate that and so your carpets your bedding uh everything in there is going to last longer okay great okay very good well thank you i appreciate your help you bet charlie take care thanks for listening to the texas home proven super podcast now i would love your help If you enjoy listening to Texas Home Improvement anytime you want, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Help us reach more people and grow the show in Texas and beyond. Please visit iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a review. My house is 2,000 square foot home and getting mold around vents. AC is 11 years old and furnace is 8 years old. Is getting mold normal? No, it's not. And do I need to replace system with a variable speed? No, you do not. Was told humidity is 61. That's too high. I have been in home 40 years and first time for this on vents. Unit is a 4-ton. Appreciate your opinion. Okay. No, you don't need to get a new unit. Humidity level, you're on the high side. Um... You know, usually 45 to 55 is a good range. You can creep it up towards 60, but the higher the humidity level gets, the lower you end up setting your thermostat to be comfortable. Humidity makes you feel like you're hot. That's the reason when it's 95 degrees outside and we have uh, no humidity to speak of, we're all comfortable outside. But when it's 95 and we're running an 85% humidity level, we're all sweating and Extremely uncomfortable. So, typically, when your vents start sweating, something has happened. And usually it's something to do with the insulation around the vents, around the ductwork, or something along that range. And I will tell you, I got a call from my parents on, let's see, it, it was either Wednesday night or Thursday night. I guess it was Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, it was, Wednesday night that they had water dripping out of one of the vents in their home. Now, same thing. The house has been there for years, no problems. Now all of a sudden they're having water drip. When we started looking at it, it looked like some of the insulation on the inside of the vent had peeled off the metal. And that does happen with age. Well, once that peels off, you got the warm air of the attic on one side of that sheet metal. You've got the cold air and the ductwork on the other side. That causes it to sweat, and that's where the moisture comes from. So it's probably not going to be anything major to fix, but they're going to have to look up in there and find out where the insulation has peeled away so that it can be taken care of. Shelly, how can I help you? Hi, Jim. I just wanted to ask your um, thoughts on um, using foam to level a foundation. I just recently heard of this and yes. was really surprised and wanted to know what the pros and cons of it were and what you thought of it. Okay. I think enough of it that I, I actually own a foam truck for doing urethane injection, and that's what it's called is urethane injection but i do not recommend it on residential foundations okay and and here's why if you think about what caused the foundation problem to begin with our soils when they dry out they shrink when they get wet they expand again virtually all foundations have some void under them whether it's a one inch void or a two inch void or five inch void the 4-inch part typically has some type of void under it. Now the grade beams, which are the beams that are running across the foundation, are typically what's in contact with the soil. If you inject foam when we're in a dry state, the next time it rains and the soil expands, you fill the void that the soil would have expanded and filled. Now it pushes the foundation up higher than it was built. If you fill the void in a wet state, the first time it dries out, the foundation is still gonna go down. So you haven't solved what's causing the problem. You've only given a band-aid on it to the you know, the symptoms of what's going on. So typically okay. what I will recommend is to use piers of some kind to underpin and support it if you're having a foundation problem. Where I use my urethane truck is if I'm doing driveways, sidewalks, patios, roads, commercial buildings like big warehouses, places like that, the foam works great. But I've seen too many problems on residential that I just don't recommend it. Okay. Okay. Well, that helps. That's good to know. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This one comes from Henry in Dallas as... Is there a foundation technology that is mostly immune to clay expansion problems in North Texas? As I consider a new build in the Dallas area, I wonder if there's a foundation design or technology that is mostly immune to the clay expansion problems in North Texas, a technique that doesn't need frequent watering, a design that is easy to adjust for soil expansion effects if need be, I'm guessing significant soil replacement and high crawl space or even a basement may be the best approach, but I don't really know. Well, you know why they don't have so many, or in the past they didn't have too many problems with foundation issues in the northern states? Because they had basements and they were digging down below the active zone. The freeze line, uh, we'll talk Minnesota, for instance. The freeze line goes down like six feet. So they were taking their basement floors down to at least six feet. While they were so far down, they go an extra foot or two, and they got a good usable space that they can build in down there. But it's below the movement area, or so we think. Uh, in our area, we typically think we're not putting basements in because of water But that's not the case. We don't put basements in because of the sheer cost of putting a basement in. Even in the northern states, they're getting away from basements. They're using styrofoam mats to spread out beyond the foundation to insulate it and keep the ground from freezing under the foundation. And so they're putting in floating slabs then. And guess what? They're moving. So is there a way to do it? Your basement answer is one way to do it. But even that can move eventually. The best way to do it is have a soils report done, a soils test. They'll come out, they'll do a boring where they go down at least 20 feet. You don't want anything less than that. And in some cases, depending on what they find at that first 20 feet, you may need to go even deeper. Then you design the foundation around the soils report. The soils report will tell you whether you should use a pier and beam, a slab on grade, uh what your chances are of having an issue with one of these and so that's the direction I would tell you in general it is cheaper to adjust a pier and beam foundation than it is a slab on grade cost wise to build is almost the same if designed properly and watered like you have to do to maintain the soil Any of them will do just fine. Uh, You got to keep trees away from it. You've got to, you know, maintain a constant moisture around it, and it's impossible to keep them dry all the time, as the rain this weekend shows us. Uh, So that's the reason we keep them moist to keep them expanded. Now, if you ask, and I will go a little further, what what would I tell you is the one. If you would take a look at a pier and beam, if you're not going to do the soils report and you know take my initial recommendation, because the soils report will, on a new foundation, that way it will probably cost you something in the neighborhood of twelve to fifteen hundred. But a pier and beam foundation, don't use base pads, use drilled piers. That's going to be your most stable, easiest to adjust. Doesn't mean it's worry-free because I've done lots of those where they were new and had issues as well but it's your best chance but again uh, that's the one that I would if I wasn't going to bother doing it the right way getting the soils report that's the way I would take a look at going now with all the rains we've been having and I know it was heavy last night areas were flooding and we're having some issues again uh, today earlier today If you're having to deal with drainage issues, people will come out and talk to you about French drains all the time. And a lot of times, what people are calling a French drain is not a French drain. A French drain is a subsurface drain system. And typically, you'll dig a trench. You'll put a perforated pipe in the bottom. You line the trench with a silt fabric put your perforated pipe in the bottom start putting gravel in it that's a French drain moisture that's moving through the soil hits that gravel drops down into the uh, bottom of the the ditch that you dug goes into the pipe so it can be run off if you don't have a place where you can daylight the end of that pipe in other words for it to drain to, you may have to put a sump pump somewhere, which that's nothing more than a pit for the water to drain into, and then you put a pump and pump it out away. That should only be done if you're dealing with subsurface water, water that's you know running under the ground and running, say, under your foundation and causing an issue, something like that. Surface water should be dealt with either by cutting swales to drain the water away, or you can put catch basins to catch it and, again, drain it out into a ditch somewhere. If you don't have that option, then you have to, again, set a sump pump, pump it out, and get rid of it that way. But make sure whoever you have do these items that they're familiar with it. And if they're coming out and telling you, oh, yeah, we're going to put this French drain to deal with, all this standing water you have in your yard, that's probably not the person you want. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.